What is it? Your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. How did my father die? A young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. He betrayed and murdered your father. Episode number 355 of Blast Points is Jason. And this is Gabe. This is a treat. This is a treat of an episode. This week we are honored to present to you two of the authors of the amazing Star Wars Timelines book, Kristen Baver and returning friend Amy Rakow. You know them. You love them. I don't, what, what can we say about what people are about to hear? It's fun. It's informative. And why don't we just let them listen? Honestly, because this whole conversation is so fun, so entertaining. We go over timelines, 100 objects, Max Rebo's butt, you name it. We're talking about it in this episode. So yeah, enough of us talking. Let's roll the tape of us talking to the wonderful Chris and Baver and Amy Raquel. Okay, so here we go, folks. This is a real pleasure and a treat to be able to talk to two of the authors of the incredible new Star Wars Timelines book from DK, welcoming to the show for the first time, Kristen Baver Points Baver, and back for a third time, Amy Rakow. Thank you both so much for joining us here tonight. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks for having me back. Oh, it's our pleasure. Also, thanks for just renaming the podcast. I like that Talking Bay started this trend, and now everybody, when I go on the podcast, it, you've got to work Baver somewhere into it. It's the rule. I don't know. 
<laughs> well, you know, we can't let Brandon have all the fun. It's Baver Points featuring Amy Rakow, which, yes. you know, yesterday was Amy's birthday. So, we, you know, we're not leaving you out. I know. I made such a big deal about my birthday that I got a, like a work email that basically today was like, everyone is very aware that it's your birthday week. <laughs> <laughs> so like we gave, we didn't want to like rush you about this certain thing. And I was like, okay, like I have now peaked in like letting people know when my birthday is. <laughs> we have just been loving Star Wars, Star Wars timelines. It seriously is one of the most ambitious book, ambitious books ever put out by Lucasfilm Publishing. I feel like one of the most ambitious Star Wars reference books, nonfiction books ever. Because when it was first announced, I was like, "Oh, that'll be cool. That'll be great." And then you started to hear, like at Celebration, like this thing is big. And then when it's like when you actually get it and you're flipping through it, it's like, "Oh my god, no, this thing is crazy." It's so wonderful that people are thinking that because that is for sure what all the authors and editors and designers have been thinking about this book for so long. So it would have been a disappointing if people were like, what's the big deal? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And I think our understanding working on the project even, you know, shifted dramatically over time from, you know, initially being invited into the project and thinking, we thought we knew what it it was going to look like and what it would entail and what it would encompass and what you know, what the the workload lift would be to actually working on it and discovering how wrong we were on some of those fronts uh, <laughs> you know and just how different it might be because um, I don't know if this was true for you Amy but when I initially considered the timelines project I thought oh yeah that makes sense you just plot everything out on the timeline and you just go and you know in my mind it seemed deceptively simple and I think sometimes when you're looking at the layout it almost looks deceptively simple like yes here are all of the the points in time and you know here they are all in order but just the the journey to get to that point of being able to lay all those out on a singular timeline and be able to intersperse all of those different shows and films and books and comics and games and you know all of the other integral storylines that were happening you know was just uh you know to your earlier point a tremendously ambitious project yeah i went from texting Kristen like once a week to like you know progressively texting her like every day like multiple times a day like walk me off the cliff like are you freaking out i'm freaking out like i know everything about star wars i know nothing about star wars i mean it really was just like this like it was such a huge project and i think everyone could tell that it was like going to be such a special project like the book that everyone wanted but like and that's so exciting and you feel so honored to be there and like when i i was working on it for i think about a month or two before i knew who the other authors were and then i was just very intimidated by that list because you know these are some of the people that like you know i purchased like every jason fry and cole horton like you know book like that's come out. And then like, you know, I was very happy that Kristen and Clayton were there because I knew them already a little bit better, but you know, it just was such this huge project that it was, it was great that there were so many people involved, even just from the authors, because you kind of felt like, okay, we're a team, like we're going to, we're going to do it. Like, but there were several nights when I was just staring at my spreadsheet that, you know, started off like very empty and you're just like, oh my gosh, like, 
how is this going to work? Like, this is, you know, how am I going to reread and rewatch all of these things that I feel like I really need to, to do this right. And, you know, do all this research and, you know, it just, it really was kind of, you know, it, it became, you know, it was my little obsession, I feel like for, for quite some time. Uh, and so it's amazing to, you know, that people now have it in their hands. It's funny, Amy, too, that you mentioned like, you know, feeling that intimidation because, you know, it's Jason Fry, it's Cole Horton, it's people who, you know, you, you look up to and respect. And I didn't feel as intimidated by them, probably because I, I had met them a few times and I felt like I knew them pretty well. Like uh, Jason Fry and I had hot dogs once in Chicago at Star Wars Celebration at this like little hole in the mall restaurant. Um, and one of us, I cannot remember now who said this, but one of us said, should we cut it? We were splitting one. And one of us said, should we cut it or should we lady in the tramp style it? And so it's like, it's hard to feel intimidated by a person after you've lady in the tramped a hot dog with them. But <laughs> I will say, uh, you know, that is the the benefit of being on a project where once we did find out who the other authors were, you know, I reacted in, I think, like, I think I took all the editors off the chain and only responded to the other writers and was just like all caps yelling. Cause I was so glad that it was for people that I knew and respected and knew they were going to just do an amazing job on this project and just felt so good about teen timelines than like from the outset. And that is also not to diminish that the role that the amazing editors did on this heavy, heavy lift at times. Um, you know, they're a, you know, a tremendous part of this project and you know, what really has made it so successful and beautiful. Um, but I think, you know, it, at that early stage, when the editors were still waiting for us to turn in the text that they could start their part of the job, uh, you know, that just looking around at the other authors, it was so helpful to have people to text at odd hours and say, I am going insane because of the Millennium Falcon. Can we talk about this? So with all the different authors and then you saying that kind of everyone started potentially at different times too, how did that work kind of divvying up the work? Like where did certain authors just focus on one timeline or one particular character or were you guys passing things back and forth? Kind of how did that even work? Because just one person dealing with something this complicated seems complicated enough, but then throwing all these other authors in. We were assigned uh, different chapters to work on. Uh, and so like we all kind of were, you know, kind of like laser focused on specific time periods. Uh, for me, the two people that I interacted the most with were Jason Fry and Clayton Sandell, who had the chapter before and after mine. Um, because, you know, you're just kind of figuring out where those, you know, definitions are. Um, and the so my chapter was Reign of the Empire. And uh, there's a really cool chist spread in that chapter that actually Jason Fry put together. Uh, and we collaborated on it because like a lot of the, the first Canon Thrawn books um, were heavily, you know, they were all in the Reign of the Empire, but the Chiss Ascendancy books were more in Jason's. And so that kind of like all came together for like one uh spread. Uh, but it was fun to, to, you know, we, we had many, I had many, many conversations with many people about Thrawn. Um, I refer, referred to him as my blue nemesis for several months of my life. Uh, and, um, cause he's just all over, you know, my chapter and in such a cool character. Um, but a lot of the work was kind of like us, like heads down, like just completely 
become like I feel very protective of my my era now. <laughs> like I'm like it's the best era, like and I love it. And like every time like there's new a story that's you know coming out, like Jedi Survivor or like Delilah Dawson's like you know, Inquisitor book coming out soon. I like I I'm very excited. But then I always like then immediately I'm like oh oh no where does it go? <laughs> I could imagine. Yeah, and backing up even further, something I loved about timelines is it, it reminded me of one of my favorite um star trek reference books star trek chronology the history of the future by uh, mike and denise okuda and i i used to just it's it's so amazing cause it's literally a history book of the future year by year and what happens and i always wondered how they pulled that off or where the idea even came from because it's something that I feel like it's a book we've always needed as fans. Cause I know Gabe and I are always confused about the timeline. So yeah. How did it all, how did it all start? I think it was probably an idea that you know came out of Lucasfilm and DK collaborating. Um, and then they were, then we were brought on after the fact. So, you know, it wasn't a case of authors pitching, Hey, this is, this is a great idea. I think it was a case of, you know, Lucasfilm and DK looking around and saying, what, what do we need still on the bookshelf? What haven't we done yet? What could we do? And I believe DK has some other timelines books, um, in the works or that are already out. So it could be that they had done this before, you know, with some other topics and thought, Hey, we haven't done this with star Wars yet. Let's do that. Um, this is all speculation. But this is this is my guess as to how those conversations went down. Um, you know, I know when I got brought into it, it was the summer of 2021. And so they already had the idea in place and they were really just kind of assembling the crew uh, and had asked me if I wanted to be a part of it. And I said, I absolutely want to be a part of that. That sounds great. We should have a meeting to figure out how we're going to do this because that also sounds... Uh, like a lot. <laughs> and I was not incorrect. <laughs> yeah. And DK was really, I mean, like every timelines author is just going to gush about, you know, the editors who, and the designers who worked on this book, because the amount of lifting, you know, their, their names are very small on the very back of the book, but that is not reflective whatsoever of their impact and importance putting this whole thing together. Um, you know, they gave me when I came in, which I think was just shortly after Kristen, like kind of a, you know, skeleton of like, here's what we're thinking that this reign of the empire chapter will look like. Um, but then they were, you know, they gave me that and, and they were pretty close to like figuring out like how many spreads are you going to need for this time or that time and stuff like that. But they were also were, you know, just so open to like, hey, I think we might need another spread, you know, to cover these years, or like, maybe we only need one instead of two, you know, things would kind of dynamically change as, you know, as we were working on it, as other, you know, stories came out. Um, and so it, it really was, you know, I think that one of the challenging things about it is that, you know, the Star Wars timeline is still continuing every single day. And so it was kind of like figuring out like, you know, how are we actually going to get this book to a printer? <laughs> you know, how, are, how is it going to end? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think it became at some point a question of like, where do you draw the line in the sand and say, okay, n now we can, now we're, we're confident we can send it off and we're not going to add more things because we know more things will happen tomorrow. <laughs> You know, it's like, where, where is the deadline? How do you, how do you manage that? You know, when it is Star Wars, which is this, you know, we have the benefit of it being this living, breathing thing that we keep 
somehow getting new stories every single week, uh, sometimes multiple in a day, uh, you know, with especially with you know the just the sheer number of books and comics that are coming out and you know series after series after series sometimes Wednesdays are double features with series you know recently with Mandalorian and Bad Batch and so yeah I think it is just kind of uh at some point I think you make peace with the fact that you can't include everything up to the minute that it gets printed and that it arrives because there's, I think a several month period once it's sent to the printer where it has to actually like physically get printed and bound and then put in a box and then shipped everywhere. So it's just impossible to be continuing to add things up until like the day before release, even though you want to, you really, really want to (laughs) as one of the writers on it. Like you just, I want to be adding things now. And that is just, not a good impulse because that book is out. Like it's too, it is categorically too late to be adding things to this book right now. Well, that was one of the neatest things too. looking at the book is just how much of the book is new, new stuff, relatively new stuff that, you know, Star Wars new, like you're saying, there's so much new stuff and it's just like exponentially getting more and more stuff that, um, it was kind of cool, like thinking, oh, you know, I, I know a lot of Star Wars stuff and then going in the book and like, oh, wow, OK, all the comic stuff is in here, all the novel stuff in here. Like, it's just it's yeah, it's kind of incredible that seeing it all in one place and just how much Star Wars storytelling has grown over just the last few years. One thing we love in the book is how it goes from like a, a, a macro, like a big view of a period of time to honing in on one significant moment, like the Battle of Yavin or something like that. It's such a fool, cool, fun little extra that gives, I, I feel like, a greater importance to the, these key moments. Where did that idea come from? And how did the writing and research for the, the close-up examination of a major moment differ from writing about and examining the, the bigger history periods? I think uh, DK had kind of isolated some of the, like, we know we're going to, you know, dive into the Battle of Scarif and Battle of Yavin. And, you know, like a lot of the battles, they knew that, like, one timeline just going, you know, left to right on the page wasn't going to cut it. Like, you really had to, it had, those pages were going to have to be way more dynamic. Um, but I know in my chapter, and I think in a lot of other chapters, like they, they expanded as we realized that so many Star Wars stories are being told at the same time. Um, and that was one of my favorite parts of the book was figuring out like, well, you know, Star Wars Rebels is going on, but then you've got, you know, this Thrawn novel and that has to be, you know, it's going on at the same time and it doesn't really work to kind of go back and forth between them there. You know, if you have two lines kind of running parallel, you know, that shows what it was, you know, that shows more what's going on. Um, But for the battles, it was very funny. And I know several Star Wars timelines authors have told this before, but they asked us to kind of, you know, draw up what we kind of saw as like what this page might look like. And none of us are artists. I feel safe in saying. (laughs) And all of those drawings, I think, were just so hilariously embarrassing. Like they should have just printed them in the back as like a little epilogue so everyone could laugh at like, you know, like me, like scribbling around like, well, like this is what's going on in the Battle of Scarif right now. Um, But I love the Battle of Scarif. I think it's the best battle in Star Wars. And so I was very, very excited that I felt like I had the excuse to watch that battle like 30 times, you know, in about one month. Um, 
And, you know, when we wrote them, we wrote them on a spreadsheet and then the amazing designers would kind of come back with like these pages and you're just like, whoa, like that is, you know, that's exactly what's going on. And and I would have thought I had two battles in my chapter. I had Scarif and then I had the Battle of Lothal. And in my head, I thought that the Battle of Scarif would be more challenging. But the Battle of Lothal, like because there are so many people breaking off and doing different things and moving around in different places and focusing on different things like that one was completely insane and it's one of like the most packed spreads I think in the book and I I just completely love it because I think that it really shows off like what a beautiful kind of you know combination of things that went into like winning that you know winning that battle and so it was really really amazing to see but the moment when we were received PDFs of a designed page and like weren't looking at a spreadsheet was like one of the best days of all time. Uh, because you like, it was just like, oh, like I'm released from the spreadsheet, you know, like I can just look at this PDF and look at this great design work. And it all was like coming more to life. Um, and so like the battles were really, really, for me, like super, super fun way to kind of tell a story in this like visually dynamic uh, manner. Well, and I think it was so fun with those particular types of spreads to really get to explore, you know, my, my terrible artist skills, but, you know, to try to, to figure out a way to visualize there's about five different things happening, you know, at the same time during the battle Starkiller base that we know of, how do you possibly make all of these things make sense because you can't just line them up on the same timeline because some of them are happening, you know, simultaneously or, you know, within reason, they're kind of on their own trajectory, on their own, at their own place. Um, you know, some of those things are coming out of resistance. Some of those things are coming out of uh, games with Battlefront. Some of those things are, are coming out of the, the film and some of the books. And so just trying to, to figure out what that might look like, not being a designer, but being a writer. And then that transition of seeing my scribble, and what I thought maybe would work and then it come out from the designer and it is gorgeous and it's way better than anything I could have, you know, really imagined or, or dreamed up, um, you know, and, and it's just so brilliantly executed, but in a way that makes, makes it come alive, I think, and really kind of hammers home the, the point that we were learning, you know, I, I think during the process of writing it, which is, you know, that you kind of think, you know, what, what goes on during this, you know, particular battle. But then when you start to slide all of those pieces into place, I know for myself, looking at it now, even having written those spreads, I'll look at it and think, wow, yeah, no, I did kind of forget that that also was happening simultaneous to this. And, um, you know, and this, you know, is like poetry, it rhymes and this, this all totally makes sense. But it, you know, you're seeing it from a different perspective when you have it all lined up like that. Was it interesting, I guess, having to wear so many hats in a way of, I'm, it sounds like you were, you know, at one part you're doing research and another part you're writing based on that research. And then at another part, you're trying to design visually kind of how the writing is organized. And then I'm assuming once you see it, then you're going back to adjust the writing and then you might come across something that you researched wrong. So you're back to research, like kind of what was that like jumping back and forth as opposed to just, you know, being a writer or a, or a researcher or a designer, like having to do all that kind of at once, or was it something where you, there was a definite transition? Okay. I'm in research mode today. I'm in writing mode today. I think for me, I would just kind of take it spread by spread. 
and try and figure out what what I still needed to to finish and do the job. Uh, you know, so for like Battle of Crate Spread, I remember there were times that I, I wrote it and then I was watching it again and I was trying to rectify. You know, at first it seems like there's kind of like three different things that are happening or four different things, but then you know, two of them kind of come together early. And so how do you, how would you visualize that? How do you write around that? Um, so I think it is a lot of back and forth, but you know, for sanity's sake, I would try to stay on one spread at a time and, you know, not, not finish a spread before moving on to the next one necessarily. But, you know, during those days when I'm sitting down for, you know, either a couple hours or for a full day of, of working on it, it's, you know, let's, Let's just focus on one spread. And then if we either hit a wall or we think we've finished it, now we move on to the next one instead of just like bouncing frenetically back and forth. I know. I feel like I, I was more of a bouncer. <laughs> like, I mean, there were, there were definitely times when I would, you know, just try to focus on, you know, one spread or another spread. Like I was very like with Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which was very exciting for me to write because I wrote it like literally, like literally the day that, the last episode came out like because that was kind of coming in hot um f- for this book uh like that was very exciting because it was kind of isolated because it was like okay all of this stuff happened kind of like right here um but sometimes i had days where i was like okay like i really need to figure out like for rebel rising like when did all of these things that happened over multiple years like i really need to figure out like what years all of these happen and then figure out where they're placed on the page like there would be days like that where i would really be like okay like I need to, you know, I need to sort out, you know, for, uh, you know, for Rebels, like there are a lot of Rebels things that like happen before the show happens. Like when Sabine is in the Mandalorian, I mean, when Sabine is in the Imperial Academy and she like leaves, you know, like that's not in the show, but it's in this book because it, you know, it, 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 it kind of tells you when it happened in the show. And so, you know, you are like, okay, this has to be in the book there. Um, and one thing I really wanted I wanted this to kind of read as a history of Star Wars. I also really wanted it to read as a history of the characters. Because uh, my chapter has a lot of like young Jin Erso, young Han Solo. Like you get a lot of people, you know, you have a lot of like backstory. You have a lot of like, pe- you know, stories that like are very focused in that time period, like Fallen Order and, you know, like, like the Vader comics, like that are like heavily just like, you know, here and now in this time period. But I wanted it, you know, sometimes I would think about characters like Kira or something like that. I was like, am I, you know, am I hitting every single time period that I can, you know, for them? So when you're reading it, you're kind of reading the history of these characters as well as the history of the stories. Um, And I would completely drive myself crazy doing stuff like that, really, (laughs) when I should have just been paying attention to, you know, the spread. But yeah, I mean, it was, you know, for, I, for me, I did ping pong b- back and forth between, you know, the writing and the editing and the questions that were always very good questions. Like the best questions you'll get from editors sometimes are people, the editors who worked in this book are heavily like linked with Star Wars. They know Star Wars very, very, very well. Um, but, you know, they also would give us questions from DK editors who were looking at it who weren't so familiar with Star Wars. And they're like, oh, you know, like you say that like these big wolves appeared and people like passed out. Like, <laughs> what exactly do you mean? Like, what? You know, like, are you sure? You know, like a little bit more here. And I'm like, well, I only had 20 words. Like, yeah, just trust me. It's Star Wars. It's fine. Space magic. Yeah, no, I feel like it was 
you know, writing concisely is, you know, something that I have done a lot in Star Wars. And it always just ends up like sometimes being like super ridiculous. Like when you're just like, I'm writing this and like, I don't know, like it seems a little bit weird, but like, but Star Wars is sometimes weird. And so you got to just go with it. Absolutely. Also, I think some of the best notes come from people who like the, the editors who were primarily working on this are deep in the lore, you know, big Star Wars uh, fans. But I love when we get questions or, you know, edits from folks who are, you know, a little more casual about it, because sometimes they do point out something that you you feel like, no, everybody knows this. It's it's just common knowledge. You know, all of my friends know about the giant wolves. It's fine. And then <laughs> someone who's never heard that before will be like, but what? <laughs> and and it, it's a good reminder that uh, you know part of the reason that a, you know, a book like this exists is because you have those folks who are you know deep in the the weeds with Star Wars, love it, want to know everything about it, and then you have the people who are new to it, and this might be their their you know hopefully not their first entry point because I feel like this could be overwhelming if we're like here's Star Wars, study up, but you know. In terms of if if I were a kid now getting into Star Wars and I had just discovered how much I love the movies, I would be ecstatic to get this book and just start learning everything else that I didn't know yet. So just keeping in mind that, you know, with everything that we write in really any Star Wars book, but, you know, I think especially something like this, it could be the reader's first time encountering this information if they haven't watched, read, or played what you know the the source material comes from so just making sure that it is clear and concise um is a, a huge challenge i am not the best at writing succinctly <laughs> and this book was a a really you know big challenge for me i think in terms of uh you know paring it down to just okay if we only have 20 words here what are the most essential words to get this point across, and then we have to move on to the next point. So were there any situations where it was like, there's no way I can get this, you know, into 20 words or whatever the arbitrary word count was? Like, were there, did that happen? And they were like, you know, you had to change the layout or something because it just wouldn't work in the space that you had? I think as the writer, you could always, you could always add points. So, you know, if you started out in your spreadsheet and you, you thought, you know, I can cover this in, you know, 20 or you know, 40 words. Um, because like the, the word counts were given from designers who said, you know, if you write longer than this, it's really going to become a problem. <laughs> we're trying to design around all of these things. Um, you know, but you were able, I think, to have the, uh, you know, the grace to say, you know what, this needs two points then. And, you know, the designers would make it work, but, you know, we need a little more space for this. So how can we break this up in a way that now it's two points and it, you know, it still makes sense, but allows us to, to present more information. You know, once we had design pages, it was, it was much more easy for everyone to tell, like, no, we actually do, you know, sometimes it'd be like, we need you to write a little bit more here. And I was like, oh my God, I would love to write more here. Like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I was like, you know, trying, killing myself, taking out every single word here. Like, I would love to explain that a little bit more. And, you know, sometimes like, you know, they would, you know, DK would look at it from like a design perspective and be like, well, like, you know, could you add a little bit more to this one? It'll be like, well, is it okay if I add a little bit more to the one next to it? Because that one would be easier to do. And they were just so 
always so flexible with everything. And, you know, like every now and then I would be like, you know what, like I was talking with someone, you know, like, you know, a story group and, you know, this is gonna gotta move over here. And, you know, sometimes moving one thing, especially if it was like, you know, not a very small thing, like, you know, you'd have to change it in multiple spreads and you have to go through and just make sure that like, you know, it was like a little butterfly affecting, like, you know, what is this changing? Um, and so that was also like, especially when it comes to like the con- the newer content that we are adding in, you know, sometimes that really would, we would move things, it would, it would become a, it would become a bit of a time suck, you know, to kind of like try to like figure out how to do that. But DK and Lucasfilm were always just so open to doing it because I think everyone just wanted to get it as right as possible. Um, and that was really, really nice as a writer that you just felt like if you made a case I mean, of course, like, I mean, Christians, I like, we did obviously have to cut things off at, you know, at some point, but uh, I mean, I was like sending them little notes until the very end. I was like, well, I was thinking about this, you know, when <laughs> uh, and, I mean, they were just so, you know, really generous and wonderful about, you know, letting me get away with a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. But I think Amy, to your point, uh, you know, they, everybody who's working on this just wants it to be as good as it possibly can be. So, you know, if we have the time, if we have the ability and we thought of something else that might make it better or might make it clearer or, you know, hey, maybe this point actually does happen sooner and here's the logic, here's my reasoning, you know, here's my argument, here's why I think this should move. Um, You know, yeah, everybody to a person who was working on it was absolutely flexible and willing to say, all right, we're going to have to shuffle some things on the spread, but you know, we can, we can make that work. We can accommodate it. It is really amazing how up to date the book is for how much Star Wars stuff is coming out consistently. Like you're saying, you know, we'll get two, two episodes on one day and, you know, for the time it takes to write and design and publish and print a book, this is incredibly up to date, which is very, very, uh, I guess, a good uh, example of all the hard work that you guys put into this right up to the wire. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> One part of the book that I was waiting to get to when I was going through it, and I don't know if any, either of you were involved in this. It's three years, ABY scattered quests. It's a hotly debated topic amongst fans. How much time goes by in the middle of the Empire Strikes Back when Luke is on Dagobah and Han and Leia and everyone's on the Falcon, these two pages kind of map it all out. Finally, were you involved with anything involving the the discussions of scattered quests? I was not. And I was pretty happy about it too. (laughs) That was all Clayton Sandell. Uh, I'm aware of the conversations around there. I did do a little bit of like, you know, I was helping with some chronics chronology, like in other parts of the book, but I did not touch that. So, uh, so if you love it, it's all Clayton. And if you didn't like it, then you can, let's blame someone else. You know. Although if I can uh, interject, uh, you know, one, one of my favorite spreads that I did not work on, but that was one of Amy's is the, how it, it, is figuring out how do you represent the world between worlds? And so, Amy, I don't know if you want to speak to that at all, but, you know, that was one I was so excited to see how it was going to shake out. But I was also kind of thankful that I wasn't part of that conversation because I didn't know the first place to begin. Like, I could not have sketched that to save my life. I don't know how you did it, but I think it, it came out really beautifully. And 
you know, is a, a great interpretation of, you know, another one of those like weird, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey kind of things in Star Wars sometimes. Yeah, you know, I remember the very first kind of, you know, outline that I got from it and they were kind of like talking about like the big hits, you know, the big things that happened during here. And I think that someone, you know, like even used an abbreviation for world between worlds and it was like question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, And really like DK and Lucasfilm were the ones that kind of really figured out how dynamic, how visually they wanted to kind of differentiate um, the world between worlds and the designers figured out the way, you know, I had all the information on the spreadsheet and like what, like this is what happens. It happens at the same time and this is what's going on. Um, but it really, you know, I, I wonder like how many conversations were had that I was not a part of um, about that because it just is kind of, you know, I chose that spread cause I'm, I like the chaos. I chose that spread to show its celebration because I thought it would get a reaction from the audience. And I would, I would like now like to personally thank every single person who was at the publishing panel because I picked that spread because number one, it was a world between worlds, which I thought, you know, was notable, like in a timelines book. I picked it because it has like the, the, the line of Thrawn stuff going on in a novel. And I picked it because it has the little inset with um, Hux being born. <laughs> and everyone you know, reacted exactly how I imagined that they might react to it in that room. Which really, you know, which really delighted me because, you know, like that, you know, having the birth and the death in there, like really was kind of a fun way to kind of link, you know, times that, you know, are not connected or even like, you know, like chapters that aren't even connected to one another, like link, link some of those characters. But yeah, I remember like at one point with the world between worlds, like there was like a request, like, could you add anything else here? Like, you know, because it was like a design thing, like it would be nice design wise if we had something there. And I was like, oh, no, I cannot. Like, I I was like, that's a Dave Filoni question. That's not a me question. And everyone just laughed because, you know. I was like, I feel like I've gone as far, you know, as I can. Um, But I mean, I think that season four of Rebels just entirely was just so like, you know, it's just so bananas. And I mean that in the best, best way. Um, But yeah, I think that, you know, the world between worlds, like, you know, I was, it's one of those things where you have to embrace that you have that in your chapter. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. It's fun as a person reading the book to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to know now when these things happen. But as the creator of the book, having to be the person to make those calls and and figure that out is not, not uh, enviable. Well, and I think there were also just times that, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't pin it down entirely, you know, for, for one reason or another. And oftentimes, you know, for some of my chapters, it was because, Hey, this story that you're trying to pin down is actually being told currently. Uh, it's still unfolding. It's still happening. You don't know what's coming next. Far be it from me to say this is the year it happens in now. John Favreau and Dave Filoni deal with it. You know, it's like no, <laughs> we're going to wait until they tell us 100. percent Yes, this is fine. This is when this happens. Uh, you know, so there were some. There are some dates in in some of my spreads that we did an estimation because we felt confident in. It was around this time, but we did not want to try to, to you know, pin it down in a way that could potentially hem in storytellers who are still working on projects with those characters and you know, on that timeline uh, you know, in a way that we would just have to rip up later if they make a decision and say, yes, this is 
when this actually happens. So an estimate was kind of like a safe way to to put it in the ether, you know, get it a, you know, a, a nice approximation. But, you know, you see this sometimes um, in our own world, in museums, in archives, where we think a piece may have come, you know, we know it came from this period. We have a rough idea of the years in which this thing was made. We don't know for sure. And that's okay. You know, so the, it was those times where we were saying, you know, we, we think it's around this period. You know, we know it's around this time, but we can't say for sure yet. And, you know, so we were able to, to put some estimates on some things that you know, we couldn't quite put into set in stone. <laughs> Things like that are cool too, though, because they almost give it more, make it feel more real. Where it's like, oh, this is a this is a real universe. They don't know they don't know everything yet. They're still figuring this stuff out, so it's cool. Yes, yes, I like that take. <laughs> I mean, I'm Amy. You were talking about embracing the chaos in each of your parts. You you were assigned to do with the book. What were some of the more challenging? bits was there any parts that presented like this is a real like you know like the scattered quest thing like this is a really tough one to kind of figure out to sort out was it was there was there anything like that for either of you I mean, Thrawn was probably my biggest challenge, um, was figuring out, especially Lesser Evil had not even come out when I started um, working on the book, but like that kind of ends, you know, right around the time period, because like the time period between Jason's chapter, The Fall of the Jedi and Reign of the Empire is kind of, you know, like mine starts at 18 BBY, Order 66 is, you know, 19 BBY. And it wasn't like a clear, like, you know, I mean, it's a clear definition kind of, but like, you know, like it was, it's a all of the, you know, there was just so much stuff happening around that time period. It wasn't like this big gap where like, you know, stories end, you know, this year and then there's a five-year gap and then, oh, this other chapter starts. Um, and I think that kind of figuring out like, well, what was really like the time after Order 66 is like pretty chaotic, you know, like and figuring out like, well, like how, when was that actually? Or, you know, for Thrawn, one of the main things, it's the same thing as like Rebel Rising and Lost Stars and, you know, other books that kind of like the, the books that skipped many years and trying to figure out like, what are the most important parts of this book? And where do all of these fit individually? And are they happening at exactly the same time as something else? Or, you know, can we confidently put them before or after something? Like those were the things that were the the trickiest to kind of like to, to sort out were the, the, the stories that, you know, the, the easier stories were the ones where like, this is a book and everything happens like right in a row. And like, you can just plop it here. And then like there's stuff before it and there's stuff after it. Like, you know, that was, those were the easiest parts. Like what, what was, you know, much more complicated. And, you know, when I, there were a lot of like flashbacks from comics, like about Afra or, you know, like other, you know, comic characters that like appear in my chapter that, you know, trying to sort out exactly like, when does that happen exactly? And then also like, how specific can we get to where we're placing it? That makes sense and doesn't box in future writers for this character in a way that like, that would, you know, in, in a way, in any way, really. Cause like, that's just not what this book is about is like trapping authors, you know, like it's supposed to be helpful for authors, not like, you know, closing off ideas or, you know, closing off like ways it's supposed to, it's just, you know, it's meant as a, as a history that, you know, people can, you know, continuously add to. So question for both of you, was there something that surprised you in researching your sections of the book that something either you didn't know or you had forgotten about or you were just kind of caught off guard? Mm, that's a good question. Um, 
I, I think for me, kind of two things come to mind. I initially, when we took on this project, I was not so clear on how many storylines would, you know, be interspersed, like Amy was saying, where you really have to figure out then just you using the the best of your abilities, logic, and some of the nods that are in those stories, how they intertwine and, you know, how those might fit on a timeline, because it's not as easy as saying, we're going to finish this book and now this comic and now this other comic and now this movie, you know, it was a lot of things that are happening in tandem and trying to figure out how that makes sense um, on a, on a timeline in a spreadsheet. Uh, and for me, the, the big one that I was just like knocking my head against a wall on was trying to figure out when Han Solo lost the Millennium Falcon before the Force Awakens. <laughs> like this was a problem that haunted my dreams and was just you had so many conversations just trying to to figure it out based on the information that we had but knowing that there was like this you know almost like two decade period between you know, super established storytelling there where we just kind of get some whiffs of some things that are happening and just trying to, to, to parse it out from that was a really interesting challenge that I did not anticipate walking into this project. Yeah. For me, I think, you know, part of it was that I was always like, as I was writing the chapter, I'm like, where exactly is Palpatine? Like, what is he doing? Like, I know he's like genuine, genuine, generally like being evil somewhere off in the, you know, like, but like, I always was kind of like, you know, I always wanted to put more Palpatine in there. And so as you know, it's, it's interesting that there, are, you know, like there aren't like, you know, she, a, a ton of like Palpatine like focused things like he's in stuff obviously and he is main characters in some things but I was always wondering you know a little bit more about curious about what he, where exactly he was uh during certain years and what he was up to um and then it was just really interesting how some years were packed with stuff and yeah. other years are relatively empty and practically have nothing in them which is you know kind of exciting as you know a star wars fan because i think that you know a lot of people are like oh like they've done that time period like you know to death like it's too much like they need to move on and i'm like well what about 7 bby you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yes and conversely uh i I was in the chapter that was the sequel trilogy era and I felt like I, I just had spreadsheet upon spreadsheet upon spreadsheet that were just all 34 ABY. Like that year, a ton of stuff happens. And then there were other pockets of time where I'd be like, oh, we can cover five years in this whole spread. That's fine. But then I'd be like, and now I'm going to need 40 more spreads just for 34 ABY. <laughs> a lot of things to, to cover. It's a very busy period. Yeah. Oh my God. Because 34 ABY is basically all Force Awakens, right? And then going straight into Last Jedi now as I flip through the book. That's amazing. That was a busy year. Yeah. It was, it's a busy year for the galaxy. A lot of things are going on. There's a lot of uh, story points to plot. But, it, you know, that was another surprise to me, I think, as well, that I didn't fully anticipate that there would be, uh, you know, another one of my chapters was the very first one where we cover off things that... I almost said things that haven't happened yet, but they've happened. <laughs> but it's like the early, early, early history. It's things that we we often get kind of a hint at or a whiff of in other storytelling, but you know, there's not necessarily a story fully set in it. Um, you know, I think that the two big ones that you know, we do at least have some storytelling points 
that are already set in that are there's a flashback sequence to the Drangir in one of the comics that you know dates back to that era. There's the beautiful um, story of Tar Vizsla in Star Wars Rebels uh, that you know is told that's uh, you know estimated in this book, but you know certainly part of that era. Um, you know, there's the, the birth of the Jedi, but you know, there's, there's just so much in that section that, you know, we really just pulled, pulled together from so many varied resources. I love that spread. I'm so happy they did that. I love that too. That, and I, I love, of course, that it opens up with that because that's like the earliest history, but it's such a cool way to open up the, the book too, because it's such like an intriguing, mysterious kind of like, Ooh, and then reading in there with like Hugh Yang powers up and I was just like, Oh yeah, of course. And like, then your mind, it's, it's just such like a wonderful gateway to the rest of the book. Like, Oh, this book is not messing around. I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I still think it's hilarious that that one spread is like 25,000 years. Like we just put 25,000 years in that one spread and then 40 pages on 34 ABY. Like it's, it's funny to me because, you know, initially coming in this book, I think I thought it would be more like, oh, here, let's cover these 10 years. And then what happens in these 10? Um, you know, but the storytelling that exists doesn't always you know, spread out in that way, in the way that like human history does. But, you know, also I think it, it's quite similar to, you know, when we look at our own history and what, what is a, uh, you know, what's something that's of interest, what's important, what is an event that, uh, you know, we take note of. It, it's not always, you know, ah, there's going to be exactly 30 events every single year that are going to be significant to the future. You know, it is very sparse like this and there might be periods where there's a lot happening and then 25,000 years where you can cover in two pages. So Timelines, as amazing as it is, is not the only book Kristen, that you recently were involved in, there is the fantastic Star Wars 100 Objects, which is so good, so cool, so amazing. How did this book come about? I, how how did all this happen? I ask myself that question all the time. <laughs> how did all this happen? Um, so 100 Objects was a book that I had the, the great pleasure of pitching uh, actually, because you know, as the story goes, I had finished writing Skywalker Family at War, which was my first book, my first Star Wars book. And I had written that as an in-world history, in-world biography, as if the Skywalker family was real and these events had transpired and you know, the biographer was was telling you all about them. And I did not believe that headspace at all. It was 2020. So it was already a weird time to be alive. And I just loved that exercise um, and just, you know, feeling like I was so immersed in, in the storytelling, but also able to really kind of retell some things or kind of uh, explore those stories uh, through my own lens. So kind of born out of that, um, I pitched this idea of, you know, doing sort of a, you know, a, a book that might be sold at a museum exhibit, something that you might find, uh, you know, in a, in a museum shop at a gallery, 
that would showcase some amazing artifacts. Um, and a big part of this was also coming out of my day job at LucasFilmWithStarWars.com. I've had the great privilege to work very closely at times with our physical asset team. And sometimes they let me put on gloves and touch the props for work reasons. <laughs> and so having had that experience and just knowing how how much I feel kind of you know in touch with those moments and those characters and those stories so much more when I am looking at the object, you know, ignoring the fact that these are props and the prop makers are amazing and they made these beautiful things, but you know, the fan in me looks at it and thinks that's Ray's lightsaber. I'm holding it. You know, I don't think about the prop maker in that moment. Uh, so just trying to kind of capture that lightning in a bottle and, and put it into a book. And luckily for me, DK and Lucasfilm both agreed that if, if we wrote it, people would read it <laughs> and, and that I could do that, you know, which, which was a great joy. And actually I moved directly from working on timelines to working on objects um, and then kind of came back around to timelines because by the time I was done writing objects, you know, some of those timelines edits had come through. So it was a really, it's been an interesting month to have both those books come out and know that my experience of writing them was also very intertwined. Well, we are yeah huge fans of this book because we both have always loved the the visual dictionaries and it's so neat that this is kind of like an even more intense version of a visual dictionary because it's just you know a whole page on one object and a huge picture in a huge you know or even multiple pages on an object um that yeah this book was a lot of fun and I think the first thing I I said to Jason too was like flipping through this is like what my what I see before I fall asleep at night is like just a picture of <laughs> All these, all these things from Star Wars. It's like as I drift off to sleep. I'm curious when you you were going back and forth. Was there anything, any crossover with research that was going on with a hundred objects and timelines? Was were they informing each other at all? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I do think that having just come off of timelines and that research, um, I did have a a better idea sometimes of where to to plot out. Uh, where different objects could go, because uh, we knew pretty early that we wanted to, you know, make it somewhat cr chronological, I guess, you know, to the the history of the Star Wars timeline as well, but not be so married to it that you know, we would be putting you know objects completely out of order, uh, you know, in terms of era. So like we wanted to kind of keep them in the era buckets, but also uh, you know, like for example the ancient Jedi texts show up in the first order era. Cause that is where we discover them in story. If I was an actual curator in the star Wars galaxy and these came into my museum, I would put them in some pre Republic era, you know, ancient space, you know, 25,000 years ago. If we went pure chronological, it would have been a different layout and a different ordering of things. But I think, you know, as it was, we were really looking at, um, you know, okay, what do we know now? from timelines and how do we apply that to you know, where some of these items might go, but also, you know, just coming off of timelines and having done so much research and so much rewatching and rereading of things as well, I think was really a helpful entry point when we started generating that first list of 100 objects, which the first list is not the 100 objects that are in the book, as it turns out. <laughs> How long was that first list? Was was the first list 100 objects or did it have more? It had more 
but I was like trying to cut myself off. Uh, so it was like a hundred and then it was a hundred plus three. And then it was just like a meandering list after that of like, Oh, but also I, I thought of this one. Um, and that's when I knew like I was in trouble with this book because I wanted, I had named it 100 objects. So I had to stick to it, but also like I wanted to write about like 125. Um, so, you know, at that point it, it just came down to trying to kind of pare it down and figure out what are, what are kind of the essential objects? What are some of the ones that they may not rise to that level of this is absolutely essential, but it's super fun. And then also, you know, a smaller percentage of what's really weird that we know exists that we can put into this book and have a lot of fun with. That's my criteria. Essential, less essential, but cool, really weird. <laughs> you, yeah, you got the perfect mix of, of those three because yeah, every page is like, oh, that's, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. And then it's like, whoa, <laughs> this book is amazing. So very, very good job on that. It's so, so cool. Thank you. No, and it's so lovely to hear because it's like when you're, and I think Amy can attest to this too, like when you're writing one of these, you're just sitting alone in your house thinking like, I think this makes sense. This makes sense to me. I hope someone else finds joy in this. You know, like I'm giggling while I'm writing up snow slippers, but I'm also like, is anybody else going to be amused by this? <laughs> we were. We were. <laughs> at least, at least two, two people okay, were. Yeah, we were. Right. Mission accomplished, Kristen. <laughs> yes. Well, and it must have been just a real treat to write the incredible history for Max Rebo's Red Ball Jet Organ and get to include a very classy shout out to the Rebooty, which you know, we're all we're all fans of Max and we're all fans of the 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 Rebooty. So it was, I was very happy to see that in there. Thank you. Thank you. And that, I think that's another one of those moments, too, where it's like I wrote it in, I giggled and then I thought, are they going to let me leave that? And they did. <laughs> so all is well. <laughs> I also got to uh, canonically add some things in with this book, which was just like my my little nerd heart grew three sizes that day uh, as I was able to add things. Because there would be moments where I, you know, I would send something in like the, the Wookiee clarion horn I sent in and said, you know, do we know anything else about this? Like, I'm guessing here, does this make sense? Is there a tribe name we can ascribe to this? And they said, uh, why don't we have Kristen name it? And I was like, what? I get to name it? You know, <laughs> it was like my birthday and Christmas all in one. Um, and with the with Max Rebo's uh, organ, we canonically, I canonically added a uh, snack drawer Um <laughs> <laughs> because he canonically he's hungry all the time and he thinks of his stomach and he creates contracts based on this. And so I was like, you know, somewhere in this beautiful machine, he just has a drawer full of like jerky. <laughs> that's, that's in my head is, is it's just me talking to me in these cases where I'm like, you know, that's probably true. And I was like, yeah, we're going to write that in and just see what happens. <laughs> Jabba's not going to give them a break, right? They got to play all day. You got to get snacks in. Maybe like some space peanuts, some space licorice or something. Why not? Yeah, That's right. And and maybe it was like I was writing and I was hungry and I needed a snack. Who knows? Who's to say? We're all Max Rebo sometimes. <laughs> True. We all have a little bit of Max in us. We do. Well, and Amy, not to leave you out, what are some of your favorite objects in the 100 Objects book? 
Well, I like flipped out when I saw Corday's dress, not to be like tragic and like morbid, but you know, <laughs> but I, I, you know, that one, you know, is one that like, you know, jumped out to me. And then I just love getting like these very close up looks at, you know, like lightsabers and, you know, like the different like weaponry, like, you know, I, I just think that it was, it was so great just to get, you know, I'm always looking for like a different perspective from Star Wars books or like a different perspective on a story that, you know, I really, really love. And to me, the hundred objects really just like drove all that home. Thank you. Also, Amy was one of the first people to get a copy. So she is like one of the first 100 Objects fans uh, who was like texting me and was just like the most lovely complimentary things about it. Um, I had amazing timing. I like I emailed someone at DK. I had asked them a question. They were like, oh, I was going to email you. Like, would you like a copy of 100 Objects? And I was like, hell yes, I want a copy. Like, can you just put me on the list to send me all the free stuff? Like, cause like, I'll take it all. But like, I was very, so I got to see it before uh, Kristen and I saw each other in London. And so that was really, really great. Yes. Although you brought up Corday's robe too, when I talked to you about it there. I know it's cause it's my, like, it, it, it's the one that just sticks out when I think of it. I don't know yeah. why, but like just seeing it, it just seems so like, you know, like, I mean, it's such a, you know, it's, it's, it's not obviously a good scene, but like, I really love the handmaidens and I love like, they ha- you know, even though it's tragedy, because Star Wars is tragedy. That's why I like the Reign of the Empire time. But uh, I thought it was a brilliant choice because it's not a character that a lot of people know her name, uh, you know, like, and just kind of like to bring that kind of history, like to me, so that that's, that's my, I'm going to stick with it as my favorite. I think it's a great choice. Also, I will say a quick backstory on the, the robe choice. The robe was not on my initial list of 110 or whatever it was. And then I went to uh, Skywalker Ranch Archives for a day to talk to the archives there uh, and see you know, what what hidden treasures might be in storage there that we could you know float up to the top to put on the list. And I had Handmaiden's Chair was on my initial list. And I thought this seems like a good item. She, you know, Layla French, who works at the archives had said, you know, I have a lot of chairs that I, I saved from the prequel era. So maybe you want to use the chair. And I was like, yeah, you know, I remember that. That scene is pretty powerful in Phantom Menace where they're all kind of gathered there together and, you know, you kind of see them seated. And then we were talking about how, you know, part of my desire with this was to incorporate, you know, not only objects that had historical significance, but also to make sure we were hitting as many characters or, you know, groups of characters, people uh, that we could with this list. And so I said, you know, I'm trying to figure out the handmaiden piece. Uh, I'm thinking maybe one of the chairs. And I think it was Layla French who suggested Corday's robe. And I was like floored that I hadn't thought of it sooner and was like, yes, that is everything I want in an object. It is tragic. It is beautiful. It tells a great story. And to me, it's uh, years ago, I went to an exhibit and I saw uh, the bag that uh, John Lennon's personal artifacts were returned to Yoko Ono in after he was assassinated. And they had his glasses on display and they were still you know, smeared with blood. Horrible, horrible thing such an impactful piece. And so I thought this robe in the Star Wars galaxy is, you know, it is that, it is that tragedy, but it is so visceral when you look at it and it tells such an important story. And 
you know, so as soon as, as soon as we thought of that as a possibility, I was like, yes, that's a hundred percent in the book now. Yeah. It's such a cool one. Cause as you're flipping through the book, it's such a whoa moment. You know, it's so good. Well, and it's one of those things too, where the picture draws you in and then you read the text and you're like, Oh, and it, they, they, they complement each other so well. So yeah, it's such a good book. Well, and I have to shout out to John Hall, who also did some of the spreads, but I don't think all of them on timelines. Uh, he was the designer for 100 Objects, and he is just a Jedi master in figuring out ways to to take you know imagery that you know, you may have seen before in some way and completely turn it on its head so it feels completely fresh and new. Uh, and also just those pops of color because Star Wars actually, as it turns out, doesn't have a lot of color. It's a lot of browns and grays in those objects. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to really make some of those spreads sing then, he, you know, incorporated all this beautiful color. And I, I think just the the layout of it is just staggeringly gorgeous. Well, and there's just such a power too of just seeing the actual props. It makes me think of, you know, how we all a couple of years or last year flipped out at the Mandalorian experience. And I always think not to bring up Star Trek again, but I always think of in first contact when data's touching the Phoenix and Picard says that touching an object or seeing a real thing makes it feel more real. And I always think of that when we get to see either in hundred objects or when we, there's museum exhibits or at the Mandalorian experience or at celebrations, it makes the galaxy that we all know isn't real. We wish it was real, but it's not, it makes it feel real for us. And that's just such a cool thing. Yeah. And it's interesting because there's, there's just a part of me that, and I, I, I imagine this might've been a similar experience for, for you all as well, but you know, there's a part of me that when I step into a star Wars exhibit, I just am 10 years old again. <laughs> and uh, you can't convince me for, for those moments that I'm inside of that space that it's not real because I'm looking at it. It is, it is real. It's there. Um, you know, but it's just a, it's a transformative experience to be able to see, you know, either the costumes or, you know, some of the props and the models. And even though, you know, logically it is not, uh, you know, it really just makes it come alive in a way that is quite, quite special. It was like the Bantha moving at the Mandalorian experience last year. I, I still like, I, I have a video saved on my phone and every once in a while I just have to watch it to remind myself that that really happened. You know? Yeah. Well, on that one, especially uh, going into it, I didn't know what to expect with the Mandalorian exhibit. I didn't, I, you know, it could have been one room and I guess, I, I mean, it essentially was one enormous room full of props and, and costumes and uh, you know, the, the starfighter and just everything. But yeah, there, there was just some really wonderful touches. Uh, the, for me, it was the, it was Grogu just popping his head out and waving oh and yeah, <laughs> just in the bubble. Star Wars is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> we can, on that, we can all agree. <laughs> This has just been so much fun. So I can't believe like an hour has gone by. I feel like this has been like 10 minutes or something because this has just been so interesting and yeah, just so much fun. And we cannot thank both of you enough for doing this. Absolutely. And it's a delight to virtually sit next to Amy on a podcast. 
Finally. It's all I wanted. I told Twitter. I shouted it into the universe and it happened. It happened this very day. Before we all say goodbye, that's one thing I was wondering. How, because you, you two are just wonderful together. How did you two meet? So it was through StarWars.com. Uh, Kristen was there when, I think that, I think that you didn't have your current position when I started, um, but it was shortly after I was kind of with StarWars.com, like writing kind of, you know, off and on for them. And then Kristen got, you know, the big job and uh, <laughs> which has just really been like, you know, very, very, very supportive of me. Like, I think that, you know, when you're kind of, you know, writing was kind of a new career path for me, like writing in this way. And, you know, she was definitely one of the key people early on that kind of was like, no, no, you should keep going. Like, you know, and, and so that really, you know, and then it was all, it, like, that was really great just to have that kind of, you know, person in your life. But then as I've gotten to know Kristen and, you know, she made the mistake of giving me her cell phone number so I could text her. <laughs> Uh, you know, like we've just, I think we become good friends and, you know, it was really great in London to actually like spend more than five seconds, you know, literally standing next to the Star Wars lady. <laughs> yes. And the other Star Wars lady, you, cause you are also the Star Wars lady, Amy, to me. Uh, yes. No. And just to, to echo that, I don't, it, now I feel like I've known you so long. I don't even remember the Genesis, but yeah, it must've been through starwars.com um, where either we were both contributors or you know around that time five years ago now which is crazy when I became associate editor and you know started working you know more in both as a writer for the site but also more in the capacity of uh you know occasionally editing your work um but I I will say like Amy is one of my favorite people and I'm not just saying that because she can hear me uh (laughs) and she's also she's one of those people that it's really she's really great to have on your team, whether, you know, it's for the website where she's contributing some really great stories or whether it's 14 timelines where, you know, I know she's doing amazing work, but also I know she's there if I need to just vent about something. Uh, But also like I imagine in a zombie apocalypse situation, like I would like to have Amy on my team for that as well. Cause I think she would survive. And thrive in a zombie apocalypse. So I'm all for that. Like she knows. Yeah, that's too much pressure, Kristen. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I'm setting it up now. Well, I'm just. But I feel this. I feel the same way. And I think that you know, it, it's the community of people who write Star Wars nonfiction books. And I will give a special shout out to the women who write Star Wars nonfiction books. Very, 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 very supportive of one another. And, you know, it didn't have to be that way, but it really is. And that is really nice. And, you know, writing, you know, IP stuff, like, you know, it can get hectic with deadlines and like this and that, and like a million people have to approve everything. Like, and so it's really great to, you know, you don't want to complain about it because like, it's a dream and like, you know, like it's wonderful. And I feel so honored to, you know, every single time I get an opportunity to do something, like I really try to like take it and value it, like, because, you know, it won't always be there. Um, But it's always great just to, you know, have someone that has had similar experiences or is in the same experience of like being in the spreadsheet of timelines and someone that you can like talk to in a shorthand way um, who can understand, you know, your, you know, volatile emotions. (laughs) Yes. It's the empathy versus the sympathy in those cases where like, you know, sometimes you just need someone else who's in the trenches to be like, you know, um, I'll be glad when this, we have done this, but in this moment, this particular piece of it is making me, 
mad, <laughs> you know, or, or sad or just confused. Um, but yeah, no, and absolutely to echo that, uh, you know, the, just the whole Star Wars author community has been so lovely. Uh, you know, I first got to know so many of the people in that group as a writer on the website or, you know, as I started writing for Star Wars Insider and just doing articles and interviewing them. Um, and now, you know, when something new comes out, they're always the people who are, you know, on, on social media, you know, touting that they're excited, you know, they're, they're wishing us the, the happy release day. They're pre-ordering the book. Uh, you know, when we did our timeline signing at Celebration, Lydia Kang was so excited to meet Amy. I love, you love to see it. <laughs> it was so great. Oh my God. And I, I was so excited to meet Lydia because I wanted, I wanted to tell her about some characters from another book that I was working on. Uh, and so we had this amazing moment, like uh, right before the signing. Yeah. No, I want like Lydia, I think she lives in like Nebraska. And I'm like, I live in Colorado. Like that's not that far away. Like we should go to lunch. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And I'm coming to one of your houses if the zombie apocalypse happens. Yeah, exactly. Because like, I want, she's a doctor. I want her on our team as well. Yeah, no, she's team zombie. Yes. I'll she's let her know. Zombie. I'll send her a note. <laughs> okay. If she's listening, we just find it. Before we let you go, is there anything coming up that you want to plug? Anything you want to let people know about that are out there? Yes. So I guess two things, you know, now that objects and timelines are out in the world, the next book that I have uh, coming out that I've contributed to is From a Certain Point of View, Return of the Jedi. Um, I have uh, my first piece of fiction. Uh, short fiction is going to be included and we have announced so I can safely say it. I'm sitting next to her right now. She lives on my desk. Uh, the, the story is focused on Ms. Size Noodles. And I'm just very excited both for that book to come out, um, for that story to, to live in the world. I hope people love it as much as I loved writing it. And I can't wait to read the other stories in that because these anthologies are just one of my absolute favorite things. We can't wait. I know when we were watching uh, Celebration Live from my couch, which broke while we were watching in my basement, but we, when that announcement came out, we were just like, oh my God, Kristen Paver's writing a size new story. That is so cool. So that is perfect and wonderful. Amy, how about you? What do you, what do you got that you can talk about? So I have three things I'm very excited about, including one thing, the thing that I couldn't talk about in the publishing panel. Um, I finally got the okay uh, to talk about it. Uh, but one thing is the High Republic character encyclopedia, which I am super, super excited um, about. It comes out, I think, in November. Um, and I'm just a big fan of the High Republic. You know, I've been devouring the books and comics. And so, like, it's just really been fun to kind of be a part of the general kind of overall fandom excitement of the High Republic, especially because more and more stories are being set in that era. Um, and then I kind of had two big goals that I've been working on towards, I guess, for the last couple of years. Uh, so I'm a film studies major, very fancy, no, but uh, like I, that was my background as a film studies major. And so a lot of my writing earlier in my life was in the academic kind of world. And I really wanted to publish something in the academic zone for Star Wars. Uh, and I have an essay about Twi'lex. Uh, I say Twi'lek. I know no one else does. Is they say it other ways, but I, I, I say Twi'lek. Uh, it's like my ad at. But um, <laughs> uh, I have an academic essay uh, 
that's going to be published. The name of the book, I, I can't talk about that one, but the name of the book I don't think is completely set. That's coming out uh, later this year. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. And then um, another DK book that I worked on that is coming out in September um, is that with Simon Hugo, I uh, was one I, one of the writers of the Lego Marvel Visual Dictionary. Um, and it's the first visual dictionary they've done for Marvel, um, a Lego one. They have one for like Star Wars and DC. Um, and it, another big thing on my list was to write a book. I love Star Wars, but I wanted to leave the nest a little bit, you know, and stretch my wings. Um, and that was just like the most fun project ever. So I'm very excited about that as well. This list is making me feel like I gotta, I gotta do some more things. Like, what, what are you doing today? Listen, as we talked about before they started recording, I don't have a real job. <laughs> no, but you know, in that great way that I think the the community of writers does, uh, you know, inspire each other. Uh, you, when you see the the cool things other people are doing, it gives it either gives me ideas or it just gives me just the energy to to, to tackle something that I really want to do and that I want to see out in the world. And I got to say too, I'm so excited for the high Republic character encyclopedia that I found out about it in a meeting. And then I immediately emailed our friends in publishing and was like, Hey, can I get a copy? When, when can I have a copy? And they were like, it's not done yet. We're still (laughs) writing it. (laughs) Um, But I was just like on the horn immediately that I needed to see this for so many reasons. And then, you know, of course, I started texting Amy about it, um, which I I can't wait to see it. Um, You know, I was so happy that they were able to show some pages um, in London from the book because it's a really, really gorgeous um, book. And I think it's just, you know, there are a lot of characters in the High Republic and like, you know, they're all so different and so dynamic um, but like it, I think it's, you know, it'll be helpful to have this book to kind of like page through and, you know, like Cole and Kristen have both written, you know, really, really wonderful reference books, you know, that are take place in that era. And I love how like, you know, Kristen's was like very art focused and Cole's was kind of like retelling from an in-world perspective of like, kind of like the major events and the character encyclopedia, of course, is kind of, you know, has some of the same characters that, you know, we saw art of, and it has a lot of the characters that are mentioned in, Chronicles of the Jedi, which if you're a High Republic fan, or even if you're just like wondering what it is, like, that's a really good book that kind of like gives you a good sense of what's going on in the High Republic era. Um, but, you know, I love the the background characters. I love looking around in the dark in the corners of the screen and like figuring out like who was back there. And so I love that the High Republic character encyclopedia is, you know, like there are a lot of weird little guys in the High Republic, you know? <laughs> so like... <laughs> They're getting their own like little moment, you know, in the sun in this book. And so that really, that really, really delights me. Well, what I love with the encyclopedias, with the character encyclopedias in particular, is that you infuse so much great backstory into some of those glups from the background, as well as, you know, retelling some of the, the, the main points for some of the, the, the really important characters, but it's such a different experience. Like you were saying, uh, you know, the art of the higher public was the first time we were seeing some of these characters from the higher public era, uh, and, you know, kind of understood what their design was and what they looked like. But the notes in that book are often like, look at Yoda's little man bun. <laughs> you know, it's not, 
it, it's not a, an, a great explanation of Yoda and his story or how important he is to the High Republic. Uh, it, it's just like me pointing out the most ridiculous details or you know, talking to the artists and they're pointing out their favorite things. Um, so I'm really excited to see how that slots in, but is also such an essential reference book to give us a, a shorthand of, you know, yeah, what is that little guy's deal? And then you can read it in the character encyclopedia. Yeah, and it really is, a te- you know, it's amazing what the High Republic authors have done to, you know, take characters, have them in multiple different mediums and continue their story, but then, you know, keep the character the same. Like they're, you know, like, but progress the story, add more detail, but like, you know, but it, it's, it's obviously the same character. Everything is just so connected um, so well that that was really, you know, it was you know, sometimes it was just like, whoa, like Lorna D, like you show up in a lot of stuff, you know, like, <laughs> like it was a little bit overwhelming, but it was really fun to see with some of like the medium and the smaller characters, like, you know, what was, you know, how their story has kind of unfolded, you know, throughout the different waves and the different, you know, the different phases. So I am very, very excited about it. And it was amazing to meet so many very, very passionate High Republic fans in London. I mean, just some of the very best fan interactions you can imagine. This has just been amazing. And seriously, we cannot thank you both enough for Timelines, your involvement in it, and even just from just a fan perspective, uh, you know, with Chris and everything you were doing at Celebration, like we were talking before we started recording, like <laughs> you were the face of Celebration London this year and the weekly this week in Star Wars. You don't know how much all that means to all of us fans. And we just all appreciate it so much as just your positive energy that you always give off. And yeah, we just cannot thank both of you enough for this. Well, thank you. And I, it, it means a lot to, to me as well to, to be able to do those things and, uh, you know, I, I recognize what an honor and a privilege it is uh, to to be where I am uh, you know, right now, even though I know we were talking about before. It's like sometimes the question is like, how did this happen? <laughs> how, how is this possible? Um, is the, you know, to, I think it was before recording. Some of my friends will be like, is it a job, though? Is it? Uh, it is, but it's a extremely fun job to have, and uh, you know, such a joy. And especially for you know, on the this week front, um, you know, during the the bizarre world that we lived through, uh, you know, during pandemic and lockdown and all of that, the the ability to continue that show from a random corner of my living room. Um, but to, to be able to feel kind of connected to people through it, uh, you know, and to, to hear from people who were watching it, uh, it was, was really a gift, uh, during a time when it was really easy to feel just completely disconnected from the world. It really was. I loved them all. It was, it was like heartwarming to see. I was like, oh my God, she's in her apartment. <laughs> <It's so good. laughs> she's got a dog. Yeah. That dog is dressed up. <laughs> Radio-controlled R2-D2. Two 9-volt and 2C alkaline batteries not included. You can make R2-D2 move, beep, and flash his light by wireless radio control. 
Hey, let me try it. You can make R2 move forward. Down, Backward, turn and beat. Hey, turn, Dad. Radio-controlled R2-D2, new from the Star Wars collection by Kenner. And these... Last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. Everybody, you know the deal. Apple Podcast Reviews. When you get done listening to this episode, we would love it if you would go over there and write something nice about the show so more people can find Blast Points when they're looking for a Star Wars podcast. And if you listen on Spotify, leave us a five-star review over there, too. And make sure you check out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com. And you're following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're a member of the Blast Points Super Chill Group. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we got the Blast Points Army on Patreon, where next month we're going to be starting our Mandalorian Season 3 commentaries where we're not done talking about Mando season three. We're not done thinking about it and we're not done talking about it. I've had new thoughts. I, I you know what? I'm really looking forward to the Mando season three commentaries on Patreon because I just want to watch them again. I, I've been watching them again already and I can't wait to watch them again. But yeah, that about wraps up number 355 here. What a treat. I mean, honestly, how amazing are Amy and Kristen? Like, you already know that. You already know, like, everybody watches this week in Star Wars. You've probably already listened to Amy on Blast Points talking about the women of Indiana Jones or the see-through dress in the Outlander Club for Attack of the Clones year last year. But seriously, that episode was great. It was incredible. Well, either of them would have been wonderful on its own, and the fact we were able to get both of them together just made it all that, all that much sweeter. Yeah, and huge thanks to Kristen at DK for really going, like the superstar of this episode. One of the superstars of this episode is Kristen at DK, who was instrumental in getting this all together, and all the people at Lucasfilm for helping out with this. And yeah, what what a fun treat. And go, seriously, if you're listening to this, if you listen to Blast Points, you will like Timelines. Go and get yourself a copy of Timelines. You will thank us later. And while you're there, get yourself a copy of 100 Objects, because if you listen to Blast Points, you're definitely going to love that one, too. You might fall out of your chair. Soon as you get to the page with Snoke's slippers, you're, you might transcend. You'll, you'll fall on the ground just like Snoke with your tongue hanging out. So. You'll wake up and you'll be holding the book backwards and you won't know why. So month of May, going to be a really fun month for Blast Points. we got some really fun episodes coming very very soon that we can't wait seriously we can't wait there there's some serious work going on on upcoming episodes of blast points and that's all we're gonna say yeah serious work (laughs) on that note everyone thank you all so much for listening and we'll talk to you very 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 soon bye bye
May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. book project uh, of mine that has been announced. I, can you hear Hector Smidget all of a sudden trying to yeah. Superstar, celebrity. I know. Superstar, internet sensation Hector Smidget has decided that in this moment, he need, he wants to plug something. Yeah, he's plugging his book. <laughs> he's plugging his book, yes. <laughs> Life with the Star Wars Lady, A True Story by Hector Smidget. <laughs> May the force be with you!